The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. This is Ben talking to you guys from Potomac, and we have Anthony Scarandariato, um, founder of Red Knight Properties and host of Discovering Multifamily Podcast. Before I let him introduce himself, I want to tell you a little bit of how I met him. And so next week, you're going to meet Mike Strug, one of my mentors, who um, I guess has really helped me learn a lot about real estate. And he actually introduced me to Anthony through his program, YREP, where he had Anthony speak about his company and about his journey on um, through multifamily real estate. And I was like, wow, multifamily real estate, that sounds super interesting. I kind of always thought about, you know, little houses, but now you have someone who's, you know, owning something bigger than that and doing something bigger than just, you know, residential. So I was really interested. I listened to like probably half of his podcast episodes before reaching out. And um, Anthony was nice enough to get on the phone with me and tell me a little bit more and help me learn. And um, I think this is a really cool full circle moment because he was the first podcast, or his podcast was the first I've ever listened to. Now I have him for the first episode. So it's, a, it's an incredible honor to have him. So Anthony, uh, take it away. Uh, excellent. Thank you, Ben, for having me. Really appreciate the back and forth, the uh, reciprocation, and uh, you come a long way uh, from when I first met you not too long ago, uh, when you, your growth and your development is pretty amazing. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Will do. Well, yeah, um, happy to introduce, you know, Ben did a good job introducing me, um, but you know, my name is Anthony Scandariato, and as Ben said, I'm the founder of Red Knight Properties, one of the founders, and um, we specialize in acquiring and managing um, value-add apartment buildings up and down the East Coast. So mostly apartment buildings anywhere from uh, all the way, you know, I sit in New Jersey, so basically from New Jersey down to Florida. And um, we have about almost 700 units in our portfolio. Um, assets under management of about 70 to 80 million, give or take. And, um, you know, we're, we're acquiring mostly C, class C type of assets that we're taking up to class C plus, B minus um, through strategic capital improvement plans. And we're partnering with um, investors as a group, you know, via syndication model to acquire these assets together and split the profits. So, our typical deal size is anywhere from five to $20 million per transaction. This is on a deal by deal basis. I don't have a fund set up. And um, you know the property sizes are anywhere from 50 unit apartment complexes to around 200 unit per deal uh, sizes. So uh, very middle market-y, um, not there is competition, but less competition than some of the institutional uh, players that buy only 300, 400 unit plus complexes and way too big for this, the small guy that is buying five to 10 unit buildings that may overpay. 
Um, so we got a decent niche um, that we're targeting, and it's mostly in work, you know, areas I like to designate as uh, workforce housing, um, growing secondary markets within an hour or two of a major metropolitan area. So um, that's that's a little bit about um, you know what we do. We also, you know, like I mentioned, we have property management division as well. Um, so we self basically it just means we self manage. We don't outsource the property management portion of our company to a third party. Um, and yeah, there's been, you know, mentioned that we have a podcast uh, called Discovery Multifamily um, that, you know, Ben uh, is a listener of and really appreciate that and uh, looking forward to seeing how this goes for you, Ben. Yeah, thanks. Definitely. And um, as of now, I definitely recommend if you want to le learn a lot about real estate to listen to Discovery Multifamily, but um, hopefully this will also be a good source of uh equally good content would be to learn obviously learn as much as I can over you know um whatever time period that may be and was to buy my first deal on my own um but just myself so I can learn if I made a mistake it was on my dime nobody else's and um I was able to do that so you know second milestone I bought um, my first property my first deal was a two-family house uh, in New Jersey in the same town I grew up in and, um, you know, it was a great deal. I actually still own the property today and, uh, you know, bought it. I learned a lot. I was the uh, self landlord, self uh, attorney. Um, I had to evict both the tenants as soon as I bought it. They were not paying and uh, learned a lot through that process. Learned a lot about landlord tenant law, um, particularly in New Jersey, where it's, you know, some areas are not as landlord friendly, they're more tenant friendly. Uh, but that, <clears throat> that experience really springboarded my uh, love for the asset class. I saw what type of, you know, income, passive income it was bringing in and wanted to scale it. So the, the milestone from there, you know, the third milestone would be um, to partner on a deal with somebody else. So I actually bought a two family house um, with another partner in, in, you know, an area where I knew very well and we basically fixed it up. We rented it and then we sold it. Um, and we, we had, you know, it was like a 40% IRR and over like, I think it was 14 months and we didn't want to keep it. We just sold it because the returns were just crazy. Um, so we, we bought and sold that. That was, you know, another milestone. So I was able to bring in a partner and go full cycle. Um, and then I ended up meeting my now business partner um, and, you know, bought something a little bit bigger, a 10 unit building. Uh, so basically from there, it was, you know, a two unit to two, two unit on my own. With two unit with a partner that we basically flipped, and then ten unit with my partner that we ended up um, adding really massive value to that we did a cash out refi, and then we bought another ten unit from there. And then we bought a twenty, and then we bought I think it was another thirteen or so. Bought about seventy units together, and um, was able to go somewhat full cycle. I mean refinance, not really full cycle, but um, was able to get the capital out and put it into more deals. And then we ended up, you know, the, the next milestone was we ended up uh, syndicating. So basically acquiring a larger property, you know, and buying it with a group of partners and splitting the profits. But we're obviously operating it and doing the day-to-day -day management um, and managing the investment. So basically was able to do that in 20, late 2019 um, after, you know, acquiring those deals on my own with my partner. And so that was a major milestone that we hit in like December of 2019. Um, left uh, the company I was working for in January 2020. We had another deal. We 
got under contract as well, kind of at the same time, the same market. So basically from there, that was, you know, the next milestone was to kind of pursue this full time. And then, um, you know, now we're up to, at that time it was, you know, with the syndicated deal, it was like 110 units, 120. Um, you know, now we're up to almost 700 units, uh, basically on our own through our network. Uh, we generally, you know, don't really co-GP, give or takes, partner with other sponsors. Sometimes we do, but it's mostly our, just our network we're partnering with, and that's obviously continuing to grow. Yeah, that's amazing, and there's a lot of good stuff to go in there, and um, I kind of heard you hit on this a little bit, but um, maybe we could flesh out a little bit more, but um, I remember I was amazed when I first learned about the Burr Method on your podcast. Sounds like you touched on that a little bit, but can you go in a little bit more detail and um, kind of explain what that is? Yeah, a burn method is basically buy, rehab, rent, refinance, right? I think. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you got the repeat, <laughs> the repeat in there, right? And repeat. <laughs> uh, so basically, you know, you take a property, and I'll just use one as an example um, that we did. The first one we bought was in, actually, I'll use a larger example. So we bought the one, the syndicated deal. This is 20, December of 2019. Uh, we bought it for $5.5 million. Uh, we put in about $500,000 worth of improvements. Um, you know, interior renovations, kitchens, bathrooms, floors, for the most part, exterior renovations, monument signage, landscaping, hardscaping. And um, we also added three more apartment units that, were, that weren't there. So a little bit of development or redevelopment. And um, so we were all in about $6 million. And the net operating income increased over basically a 12 to 14 month period from call it 300,000 to 600,000. And we were able to go to a bank, go to a lender and get them to appraise the property. And it appraised for 9.7 million. Um, so what we ended up doing was we took a loan from the bank. You know what the exact, well, I know what the exact amount is, but we took a loan from the bank and we basically paid our, you know, investor base, um, the down payment that they put in. So they got all their money back. Plus they got profit. Now we're distributing cash flow every quarter. Um, and we were able to put that money, the money that they got back, that repeat part, they were able to put that money into a new deal that we found. Um, so they basically own two properties for one investment. Now you could continue to keep doing that on your own. The one thing, you know, and it's tax tax free to take the money out. Um, you eventually have to worry about that at some point if you were to sell. But um, you know you have to worry about being over leveraged. You want to make sure it makes sense. Maybe it does make sense to sell sometimes. Um, but if you want to continue growing your portfolio, this is a good method to to use. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, definitely a cool thing to to dig into and learn more about. Um, and can uh, really help scale a real estate business. Um, and just for the for the sake of clarifying for everyone, um, we we've been talking a little bit about the syndication model, and I thought that was really interesting when I learned about it because now instead of I used to think it's only like Blackstone's and huge companies that can own these pieces of real estate, and I didn't realize that you know someone like me or you or Anthony could even get into this business. Um, and then I learned about what the syndication model was, and it's pretty much um, you know you have someone like Anthony. Uh, you know, do most of the work on the business. You kind of just join in with your with your capital, with your money, and um, 
are able to invest in real estate and you know that you pretty much do something you couldn't do by yourself by partnering with other people and if um anthony you want to clarify what syndication is a little bit more just um for clarity uh please do yeah you hit the nail on the head i mean i wouldn't have been able to buy that five million dollar building on my own um so syndicating bringing on additional partners i think we had maybe 20 partners just regular people that worked in real estate worked in insurance worked worked in as a lawyer doctor whatever a marketer um all just people that had good jobs even some businesses and they wanted to kind of divest a little bit out of the stock market or just reallocate some capital towards hard assets so they're able to do that and basically you know there's a buy-in into the property so it's just called fifty thousand dollars as an example so everybody would put in whatever fifty hundred thousand whatever the total down payment is if it's two million dollars everybody's putting in fifty or hundred thousand i might have maybe 20 partners or so maybe 20 to 25 but these are all people that myself and my partner know very well um and we trust and Hopefully they trust us. Um, so, you know, it's really good to also spread the wealth around. Um, and like you said, not keep it concentrated at a Blackstone or, you know, some other conglomerate um, that owns, you know, commercial real estate. So that's the beauty of the syndication model. And all these, you know, investors that I have are, def- are all passive. A lot of them are, I would say, a little bit older, maybe, maybe 50s, maybe 60s, some of their 70s. So they're not necessarily wanting to do this full-time and then even the younger crew has full-time jobs they don't have time for this so um that's generally who we cater to um and it's been really good you know we've been helping people i have some younger investors um 21 22 i had one 21 year old invest fifty thousand dollars in one deal um it was a couple uh, the first deal that we did and we kind of turned his money over on that a couple times already so really cool to see young um people uh, start out early in real estate and, you know, they're going to be hopefully multimillionaires just through some of the investments that we've, we've um, made. So it's really cool to see that and to kind of change people's lives through this as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And when I first heard about this, um, you know, process, I thought it was pretty revolutionary because I mean, a lot of people and a lot of people listening to this might think, you know, you just put your money in the stock market through your investment broker and, you know, down the line, you take it out. And like, a lot, I mean, also, you know, that like all these super wealthy people, a lot of, most of them own real estate and, you know, like you don't really see how that could be you. Now, like when I heard about this model, like, you know, you can start with $50,000, but you actually, you'll get monthly cash flow invest or like checks coming in every month. Um, just, you know, I guess for knowing the right people and, um, you know, having a will to be in real estate. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's hard to diversify just in the stock market and in, in one asset type, but, you know, it's, it's good to have exposure yeah. to these other asset classes, especially with, um, you know, the advantages with real estate with taxes and um, cash flow and just um, appreciation. And the, I think the best part of the scarcity, there's just a limited amount of real estate always. And, you know, that's kind of one of the most beautiful things about it. Sure. Yeah. Scarcity, that's a good point. I haven't heard that in a while because you, know, you can't really, can't really create new land. Um, it's just whatever you got to work with what's there. So um, yeah, we, I really love the asset class and, you know, the tax advantages are key as well. There's not a lot of assets that allow you to, you know, depreciate um, and get some bonus depreciation and some other, you know, some other advanced topics 
um, to help offset some income. So yeah, it's really, really like it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, going forward, how, what are, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what you look for in a deal and, you know, I guess what's a deal breaker and what's, what makes you know, a deal, you know, look perfect for you? Yeah, I wouldn't say you don't want to look for the perfect deal because then you won't buy any deals. Um, <laughs> you know, but you, you do have to be cautious too. Um, we run sensitivity analysis on every single deal that we have. What happens if the rents drop 10%? What happens if interest rates go up 300 basis points? You know, what happens if, you know, there's 20% vacancy for the two years? So we have those analysis. We always just try to put maybe, a, you know, we call it base case scenario when we're presenting a deal. Um, we don't go crazy with our inflation projections. We do on the expenses though. Um, so we, we try to be conservative um, with our projections as much as we can. And if the deal still makes sense, then, then we'll buy it. Um, so we're not looking for a perfect deal, but you know, we want to make sure that our downside is protected. So downside meaning your principal, make sure that your principal is always protected. You're not putting a hundred thousand, you're not going to lose that. Um, so I'm always worried, you know, not worried, but that's always a concern that I have every time I look at deals just to make sure that's the case. Cause you know, um, people, some people haven't seen, um, the cycle yet in the industry and it's slower than most industries. Um, when it turns around, but um, you want to make sure that downside is always protected. So some of the things I look, those are some of the things I look at. We look at in-place cash flow um, with the existing rent roll. Uh, we're usually buying occupied buildings. So there already are, there already is cash flow. Can it support the debt? Um, you know, how much upside is there really to the rents um, after we make improvements? We don't just want to buy a building and just raise the rents. We've done that before, um, but you know, it's, it is good to have a mission behind it too. Um, so how much capital improvements do we need to spend in order to get an ROI on those dollars? Um, and, you know, where's the market? We look at the markets too. What's the population growth look like? What's the employment base look like? What's the labor force look like in terms of projections? What is it landlord friendly market? Um, those are kind of things that I've always looked at. Um, and what's the incomes, you know, median incomes for the area? Are they growing? Um, so we, we look at, we start with the market and then we look at the asset level. You know, how old is the asset? How much improvements do they need? Is it structural improvements? Are they mostly cosmetic? A lot of different things we look at. Replacement costs, you know, the three approaches, you know, you got replacement costs, income-based, sales-based. So we look at all of those as well. Um, so there's so many different factors. It's not just one. Yeah, definitely. And now, um, a smart guy that uh, I like to, you know, learn from uh, Hunter Thompson, like to say under promise and over deliver. It sounds like yes. with your, yeah, with your base case scenario and, you know, really being, I guess, diligent and, you know, cautious and not, you know, over promising is definitely key, especially given how important relationships are in, in the real estate business. Um, sounds like you got a good grasp on that for definitely and uh, definitely good for credibility and um, yeah, I guess just, you know, the business in general. Yeah, for sure. You definitely want to underpromise and overdeliver, if, you know, to the best of your ability and your projections. And uh, you just got to, you know, I've seen some crazy models. Um, you know, we were talking before about sub three percent cap rates, and uh, I personally we never really bought anything really less than a six cap, maybe a little bit less in any market, even in the market we're in now. Um, you know, I just never really resonated uh, with me to buy things in the fives and fours. Um, so we always kind of look at 
that's part of the reason why we've been buying Class C. Um, but you know, it it all it all depends upon the market. We, you know, you want in my opinion on interest rates right now. You know, the federal funds rate is basically near zero. I think their target by 2022 is, you know, still a little bit less than one percent. It's like 0.9. Um, so you're looking at probably three rate hikes next year. Um, that's not going to kill the market. Um, it's going to cause a slowdown, and it's I think it's going to remove a lot of the people who started when the Fed really, you know, used quantitative easing um, policies in the beginning of 2020. Uh, it's going to remove a lot of those players because they don't know how to act when the rates are higher and markets kind of went down. So uh, real estate investors, you always want to set yourself up for uh, inflationary risk and different um, market dynamics. So having fixed rate debt at cheap cost of capital is important, um, especially if you're planning to hold it for a little bit um, and you don't want to be too over leveraged and take on variable rate bridge debt because um, when the rates go up, you know, you could potentially be underwater. Um, and you're not going to hit the rent projections you thought you were. So uh, it's always it's always good to just have a somewhat conservative approach um, to your underwriting every time you're looking at a deal. Yeah, and um, something you were saying there before. I mean, I'm an analyst in multifamily. Um, partly got into that after getting super interested listening to the podcast. Um, but uh, I I you know I look at properties often, um, many many a week. And some some of these things, or I send some LOIs and some properties, and some of the properties that I lose are value add, classy kind of like what you're talking about. And I lost to someone who you know took something like the four cap or something like really low. And I'm like, like since when does the value add multifamily you know take like core and core plus you know, I guess cap rates. And I know it's partly because people are building in the value that they expect to add into their projections. But, you know, you're also kind of diminishing the fact that the value that you're adding that you want to have higher returns are also includes risk, you know. So, like, some people I feel like might be discrediting some of the risk associated with adding value, you know, because there's a lot of unknowns, right? Yeah, and cap rate is not a one-size-fits-all metric. So people who are buying four caps, they may be able to take it to a nine, and they'll be good. Um you know, I haven't seen that. That's a lot of uh, cap rate expansion um, through, you know, your, your yield to cost, you know, your renovation plan and your stabilized NOI growth. Um, but I've seen some deals that get passed across my debt that are going in at a four cap and then their their, their yield to cost is maybe a five and then they're selling at a three and a half and it's like a 15% IR. I'm like, that's crazy. I would never, never, ever show that. Um, so you know, I, and that's on maybe class B multifamily. Um, so we kind of like being in the C, like you said, it comes with a little bit more risks, risks um, maybe a little bit of rougher tenant base. Um, you know, we try to go in and we improve the assets too, you know, and improve and elevate the tenant base, um, or at least train the tenants that are there to kind of take care of the property a little bit more. Um, and then obviously it comes with rent increases. We try to figure out ways to reduce operating expenses too. Um, so, you know, it's it's definitely a niche, um, you know, like, like you said, class A, core assets, you know, definitely, you know, I've seen four, four and five caps on those, um, but not much upside. So it depends on your borrowing costs too. 
And I think you might see a lot of those deals kind of not really come out to market in 2022 because um, they're not going to get the, well, maybe in 2022, yes, but 2023 when rates rise, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to uh, substantiate the values and sellers are probably looking for. But those are all, the core deals are most, mostly longer term assets anyway, so they may not care. Um, but, you know, like I said, the value add deals, usually I'm looking at, depends upon the market, but three to five year time, mostly five year time horizons. Um, if we can get the capital back through refinances beforehand, then great, put it in something else. Um, and, you know, we can kind of be flexible because all our money's out, but how, how um, long we hold it for, um, as long as we're not over leveraged. And, um, you know, it, it depends upon each business plan, but the sooner you can add value to the buildings, the better luck you'll be, even when markets start to turn. Yeah, because um, you're kind of building in the appreciation or adding the appreciation, or I guess you like to say forcing the appreciation rather Most than appreciation. just, yep. right? You don't just wait for the market to, to, you know, increase asset prices, but by actually making the income higher, you increase the value of the asset because the income is what determines the value of the asset ultimately. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of people, we've had, you know, record, almost record inflation numbers for 2021. And you see a lot of people just forecasting inflation, you know, 10% inflation almost indefinitely. That's not going to happen. Uh, well, maybe it depends upon what's going on, but uh, it's unrealistic. And um, it's much better off to take a building that has $500 rents, which is not market, even pre pandemic, to $1,000. And you, you know, and that's still in line or below other comps in the area and, you know, below replacement costs, our average rent across our portfolio is probably around a thousand dollars, which is why I say that. Um, so that's generally what we're doing. And, you know, some people who are buying more of the A product and we saw those rents go down um, in a lot of markets, including even the hot markets like Florida, um, they, they still went down like 10%, give or take um, on the A product. Um, you know, the class C went up. Uh, we saw that last recession too. The rents went up, uh, values went down, but the rents went up. So it's a, you know, kind of chicken or the egg uh, situation, but um, I do like the workforce housing asset class. There's not enough supply to meet demand and you can't really build it because it's too expensive um, and it's not affordable. So um, I like the, you know, fundamentals of the asset class. Yeah, and so you, you're going to touch on something I really wanted to ask about. Um, first, I wanted to mention, just based on our conversation just there, um, a wise man was told me that you can, you can always, or you, you can always, uh, or you can never fix your, your purchase price. You can always fix your, in, the interest rate that you're paying on your loan. Or, I mean, because I guess now, if you bought a property for a lot cheaper 10 years ago, you can refi into, you know, interest rate now and like, you know, Nowadays, people are taking advantage of low interest rates, not realizing that they can't fix the price that they paid for it, even if interest rates go up. So um, I thought that was an interesting point to make based on what we were just talking about. I um, also wanted to talk to you a little bit about the market and how changes in the market affect your criteria. And I know you've spoke a little bit about workforce housing, which I guess, um, you know, kind of appeals to the people who might not be able to afford the most expensive and luxurious things. And I feel like that might be helpful in a, in a, in a recession because there might be more demand for products that are less expensive. So 
I wanted to see if you thought that rents would still increase if there was a downturn in the market and, um, or, you know, has your criteria changed given, um, you know, what you, what might may or may not happen in the market? Yeah. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's recession proof, but, you know, just looking at historical trends, 2008, 2009 on some of the C product, um, it did hold up obviously during the pandemic, 2020 held up, 2021 held up. Um, so that, you know, obviously brings comfort to us and, um, you know, moving forward, I think, it, you know, just given the fundamentals of supply and demand for the type of product, it's still going to continue to go up. And it's obviously a little bit of a hedge against, well, it's a, it's a hedge against inflation. Um, and, um, I don't think we're going to see a recession 2022, although I think there should be one, um, that's a different topic, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll, you know, if it slows down, it'll slow down, but there's not going to be, uh, I don't think there's going to be a wide recession, but even if there is, um, and you're able to charge the same rents that you were charging now, as long as your operating expenses didn't go up a crazy amount, you should be able to weather the storm and you didn't take on uh, variable rate debt. Um, that's, you know, at 90% loan to cost, um, you should be fine. And you, you have adequate reserves, even if you want to weather, let's say we do go into recession, it's a two-year recession or three-year recession, and you took on 10-year debt, you can weather the storm. Um, you just have to be very cautious and, and careful. And that's where asset management comes into play. Um, you know, really robust asset management. So um, those are the people who are going to win at the end of the day. There's a lot of people who made money, you know, including myself in 2020 until now, um, that might get wiped out because um, they didn't really understand that this market's not going to be around forever. And they did some things that they shouldn't have on the financing side or on the purchasing side. Um, so, so we'll see, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, if, if you, I wanted to kind of see if you had an opinion on where you think inflation might go. I, I don't expect you to be, um, you know, the, the, an economist that has the, the glass, glass ball, you know, but it's cool to kind of hear people's perspectives on what may or may, ha may, or may not happen, you know, because a lot of people are saying maybe inflation or I guess the government is in trying to, you know, inflate the, away their, uh, their debt. I kind of feel like in a way, in, you know, turning money is a way of taxing us because it decreases our purchasing power. You know, it's not, it's not like cutting our paychecks, but it does the same thing. We can buy less and, you know, with the same amount. So kind of wanted to see if like, I, I know a lot of people are in real estate because they want to be the beneficiary of rising rents, you know, rather than the person who's paying the rising rents. But um, do you think that if rents can continue to inflate and it, it, you could always be the benefactor of inflation, or do you think inflation might have a big impact on asset values? Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a, real estate is multifamily real estate is definitely hedged against inflation. It's not a foolproof hedge against inflation because if your rents go up ten percent and your taxes go up twenty percent, and that makes up fifty percent of your expenses, you're at it's a net zero. You didn't gain anything. Um, so you really have to, you know, really watch everything going on in your operations when there's high inflationary periods. Um, you know, we experienced it a little bit in on some of our assets. Uh, but again, it comes down to, you know, where you bought it at and, you know, how, how are you able to take that asset from 
point A to point B and add the value. And then you're kind of, you know, you're in a good spot from, from there, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it is, it is beneficial. I mean, it is, it is a hedge because, you know, uh, rents during inflation don't really go down. Um, where I think inflation, yeah, what the inflation number is for 2021. I mean, we're almost at the end of the year when we're recording this, but I think it's like seven or seven or 8%. Uh, I think that's a lie. Um, I think that rents aren't really included in there. Um, I mean, the lowest rent increase that I've seen without even doing anything is like 10%. And I talked to many other operators about the same. Um, so I think the real number is probably maybe 10 to 11% on inflation for 2021, which is scary. Um, and, you know, moving into 2022, you'll once a tapering starts, if it happens, if they actually are true to their word, it'll, yeah, I think they're a little bit late in the curve, to be honest with you. I have my opinions. Um, but, you know, it'll start to come down. It's still going to be high. It's not going to be 2%, the long-term, you know, risk-adjusted inflation rate that they're looking for. It's still going to be in the 5 6% range. So you do want to, um, you know, have assets that kind of ride with inflation. Real estate is one of them. There's a lot of asset classes that don't um, go well with inflation um, that you just said, you know, with higher consumer prices, because, you know, you can, it is a tax, um, you know, it's a, regre a, re a regressive tax um, inflation. Um, but the thing you really have to look at too, um, the other side of the argument is wage inflation. So if wage inflation is not keeping up with just rent inflation or CPI inflation, that's the problem. Right now, we haven't, you know, wages are, keeping up, I think they're actually lower than, I think it's like two points lower than inflation. So yeah, you are actually losing, you know, purchasing power at the end of the day, if your wages aren't, you know, uh, covering that extra tax. Um, so we're going to see more of that, I think. I think that, you know, there is a supply issue uh, in the job, in the labor market. Uh, so we are going to see wage inflation moving into 2022. Um, you know, but the interesting thing to see is if it keeps up with regular inflation. I don't think it will, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And um, I appreciate that commentary. I think we hit on a lot of the reasons why I started this podcast and why I find real estate in general so so exciting just from, you know, I guess all these interesting, you know, ways that you can interact with different economic trends and just, you know, some in a way you can predict your stability on the, the front end. And I mean, you know, there's obviously variables that you can't attend for, but, um, you know, there's a reason why it's a very attractive asset class and why, um, you know, it's been <laughs> one of the most coveted things for, for as long as uh, we can, we know, and, you know, part of the American dream and, um, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff. So um, shifting gears a little bit, uh, I want to tell a little story. So the first time I actually met Anthony in person was um, I was on my way to New Jersey, New York to see my grandparents. And um, Anthony was having a in-person networking event. I was like, ooh, that's really awesome. I'd love to meet him in person and uh, meet some of my other contacts that were our mutual friends in person. So um, I, I go to this, uh, I, I you know come, come over to this um, event. And uh, long story short, I was 20, so I wasn't able to get in because it was at a bar that was 21 plus. Um, so <laughs> I kind of waited outside and, and chatted with some of my friends um, who, who were there. And then uh, when the when the bouncer left, I was able to come in and meet Anthony. I was like, um, I was like, wow, this is an amazing event. Like it, the the venue is super cool, and um, everyone seemed like they were having a great time. And 
there's a lot looks like there's a lot of good networking going on and i was like you know one day i want to throw an event like this and um hopefully i'll be old enough for my own event but uh yeah so i met anthony there and that was a, a great a great experience but um anthony i wanted to so actually one more thing um my two of my friends and i at tulane are starting a networking group for professionals alumni and students all to interact at um, do a similar thing as what you did at, at like a bar or a restaurant. Um, and yeah, I wanted to hear how you, you know, you make sure it's a kick-ass event and I can make sure everyone has a lot of value from it. Yeah, um, I, I remember that. That was a fun event. Um, we, you know, I'm, I'm partnered with a mutual friend, uh, uh, Ben's and, and myself. Uh, they run a group called the Young Real Estate Professionals of New York. Uh, it's kind of like the New York metro area, so we'll have events in the city, uh, events in New Jersey as well. Um, you know, it's about if you want to run a kick-ass event, you just gotta keep, you know, your your face out there. It's about your brand too. So if people want to hang out with Ben, they'll come. Um, and if you're hosting it with two of your other friends that also have a good reputation and good brand, then they'll come. Um, so it's all you know this industry. Is a lot about reputation as well. Um, and, you know, you kind of do what you say you're going to do uh, because if you don't, it's going to get around and then it's going to affect your business. Um, so that's kind of one piece of advice. But um, yeah, that's that's what I would do. And I'm sure people would come, especially with alumni and some other, uh, you know, invitees that you might have on, your, on the table. Yeah, definitely. I think networking sounds to, have been a huge tenant of your business. And um, I think it's been one of the most important things for me. And that's part of the reason why I started the podcast, because I really love to you know chat and learn from people being 20 years old, almost everyone has more experience and knowledge than me. So I'm just constantly absorbing, um, you know, good advice and good knowledge from from others. Um, but I really like the idea of, you know, helping other people meet other people where I'm not necessarily in the conversation, but I brought two people together, and they just made like a great relationship. And I feel like, they're always gonna. I'm always gonna be a part of that, even though I wasn't actually a part of that. Where that's what I kind of like about the. Um, and I think you've said this before, but about hosting a networking event, I just think I just love adding value to people's lives, and I think it's really good to be able to do that. And I mean, I think what goes around comes around as well. And um, I'll be able to meet very, learn a lot, and have a lot of value for myself. So um, yeah, sure, definitely. So um, we're gonna wind down soon, or we're gonna start winding down. But um, I wanna give you the lightning round of questions, sir. I guess it's the first official lightning round. Um, they're going to get increasing, increasingly harder as we go. So um, are you ready? Ready. All right. So if you had, could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, I think it would be mind reading. Nice. That's a good one. Why, why, would, why would you uh, What do we want to use that for? Well, you could use it in real estate. You kind of call sellers bluffs. You know, I have 10 offers, and they really have none. Um, oh. <laughs> that would be great. I think we might have gotten into this. Um, we might be getting into this in some later episode, but you can't always trust what the broker says. And I've, I've learned that the hard way, I guess. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they're all nice people. And so I guess the next question is, uh, what's your favorite book or what's the one that helped you most in real estate or, um, you know, just in life? Uh, there's a, a few of them. Um, a really good one, I thought, is not necessarily real estate related, but it's uh, called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, you know, pretty renowned book. Uh, really, really helped change my life um, just through disciplines uh, each day um, that I still implement. Sometimes I'm a little lazy, but 
um, when you kind of deviate from it, you can tell the difference in your, your day to day. So it does work. Uh, so that is one. Yeah, I agree. That's a, um, I haven't actually read the book, but I know a lot of people who's given me the advice that I know trickled down from it. So I definitely want to go to the source and read that one. Um, and uh, thanks for sharing. I, I'm always trying to learn. So I like the, this is one of the advantages of having podcasts. I get to ask a lot of people what their favorite books are. Um, and so next, what motivates you to continue doing what you're doing every day? Um, you know, I like changing different people's lives in different ways. So as I said before, you know, we're not catering to on the investment side. We're not catering to Blackstone. You know, these are, this is really my network. Some of my closer friends and family members are in my deals um, and to help transform their lives through their wealth is great. And then even tenants uh, that we have tenants, you know, appreciate most of them, at least the good ones appreciate some of the you know, improvements that we're making and uh, really helps change their communities around. So and both of them get me, uh, get me up. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of the first things that drew me to real estate was the fact that, you know, value can be added in a, in a really big way. And so that's a, that's awesome. And definitely something that I love about it. Um, and so lastly, what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Yeah. I would say there's not a one size fits all for, Everybody, you can go out and buy your own property, um, very similar to what I did. You can work for somebody. Uh, you can partner with somebody more experienced. You just have to bring value. Um, or you can invest with somebody. And there's so many different ways to get started in real estate, um, particularly multifamily. So just keep an open mind and uh, not one size fits all. Yeah, awesome. And I guess so, um, since I just put you on the spot, I'll give you a chance for revenge. So. Feel free to ask me anything you'd, you'd like to know. Say, say that one more time. I said, since I give you, since I just put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge and uh, allow you to ask me anything you want to know about me. Oh, great. Um, when are you going to buy your first building? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I've been uh, looking around a lot and um, hopefully as soon as possible. Um, hard to predict when. And um, but yeah, I mean, I think I definitely have, you know, through the last couple of months working as an analyst and listening to podcasts or reading books every single day, always learning. Like, I definitely have the skills to start putting, you know, putting things into action where like, um, you know, I'm confident that I'll be able to execute on a plan that I know at least enough to, to get started. I know um, I really want to get started so I can start learning some more. Um, so partly the market scares me a little bit and it's given me a little bit of analysis paralysis. But I know um, I, I think I have what it takes to find a deal that I know would be good regardless of market conditions. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, I'm going to keep looking at where I, I think it's attractive and uh, hopefully find something that fits into my criteria and uh, I can under promise on and over deliver for um, my friends and family because I don't think I have exactly all that it takes to, to or financially to get into my first deal. But um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really passionate about making sure that, you know, I'm not taking too much risk or just like you said, you don't want to lose your friend, your, the money of the people who you care about most. So, um, but yeah, um, I've learned the power of due diligence. So that's definitely a key for me. Um, so, Excellent. Long, yeah, so short answer is as soon as possible. And um, yeah, super excited for the journey. And I want to start compounding my, my uh, I guess, my wealth at, at this young of an age. And I know, I think you've said it and everyone who I've spoken to says it, I should have gotten started younger. And I don't think I can say that. Um, hopefully I can, I don't have to ever say that. So I'll start. Yeah. That. You won't have to say that. 
<laughs> awesome. And yeah, I guess uh, I'm already compounding my knowledge and growing a, a little bit each day. Right. And uh, yeah. So um, Anthony, it's been an incredible honor to have you on for our, as our first guest. And uh, I think everyone's going to learn a lot from this. And it's definitely, it's definitely been super exciting for me. Um, anything you want to, any last words you want to share? Or if, you know, anyone can reach you, do you have any places that, you know, might be good for that? Yeah, um, well, thanks again for having me on the show. I hope it's long and successful and uh, best luck to your new career. Yeah, and if anybody wants to reach me, um, you can just, you know, our website, we have a special report on there. It's like how to achieve financial independence through real estate investing. So you can just go on redknightproperties.com. It'll pop up so you can download that. Uh, you should get an email with the ebook and then I'll have all my information on there. But um, you can also find me just on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, you name it. Yeah, and you can listen to Discovering Multifamily on uh, Spotify and all the, the major streaming services. That as well. Okay. We're on iTunes and Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, kind of pretty much every platform. All right, and so to close out, can you uh, give me your your best um, closing from Discovering Multifamily? I like I like the thing that you repeat every time, so I wanted you to say it for, for, the, for the people listening. The best closing from Discovery Multifamily? Yeah, you, you like to mention, um, you know, give us a like and review on iTunes. That's oh, yes, how it yes, works. yes. Please, <laughs> uh, when you release this, uh, like it and review it on iTunes because it helps us get our message out to a bigger audience. That's the way it works. <laughs> That's just how it works. I love that one. I, that really, it gets me. I've like and reviewed yours. So um, hopefully I'll get one from, from Anthony. That would be a good, good endorsement. <laughs> Great, awesome. All right. Well, thank you and thanks everyone for listening and giving us uh, spending your time with us. And I'm looking forward to learning more with you in the future. All right. Bye bye.